According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs chapter 19. It's been three weeks since we've been here. We'll see if I can get a projector working this morning. Proverbs 19. We did get a a first glimpse of this, verses 1 through 3, that we're handling as a unit. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Also, it is not, also, verse 2, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge, and he who hurries his footsteps errs. The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. We have a very uh, unique structure here. I don't think we've seen it yet, uh, anything comparable to this in the first 18 chapters of Proverbs. But we have a a three-verse unit whereby verse 1 has an A and a B, that's normal. But then that B part of verse 1 continues into verse 2, A and B, continues into verse 3, A and B. So what we really have is we have one A, and then we have five extensions in 1B, 2A, 2B, 3A, 3B. Does that make sense? And so that's the poetic structure. And I think it's reflected that way in the New American Standard, uh, the fact that they put an also at the beginning of verse 2 to, uh, to show you how it's a continuation from verse 1. And, uh, and then the synthetic parallelism that follows in uh, 2A, 2B, 3A, 3B. Anyway, this is how we're going to outline it and how we're going to study it. Because the, the 1A part is the good part. That says we've got to hold fast to our integrity. That uh, even if it costs us financially, you're better off if you, know, you don't want to compromise your integrity. And if it, if it causes your poverty, well then it causes your poverty. Just stay faithful before the Lord and, and run with endurance the race that's set before you. So this is uh, what we're dealing with here. All right, now let me see. This actually looks promising. I'm going to pray before I look at the rest of that. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blessings we have to, uh, to teach the truth. And I thank you for these students. I thank you for the book of Proverbs. I ask, Father, for your blessing upon our time. And if, if you want the uh, projector to work, then uh, you know how to do that, Father. So I thank you and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, now let's see what we're looking at here. Uh, that does not look good. Well, so Sunday morning, because I'm a grace kind of guy, because I'm nice, <clears throat> we had a guest speaker, and he insisted on putting an Apple product on uh, and nothing has worked right since. But that's all right, because uh, God's still faithful. Let's try this. It's thinking, it's thinking. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, hmm. okay. 
I can start my slideshow and at least I can read from it. All right, so chapter 19 begins with three verses warning to maintain personal integrity no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Verses 1 through 3. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. And so this is one of those better than Proverbs. We've had several of these in the first 18 chapters. Better than. It describes what's good and it describes what's more good. And what's more good is walking with integrity. And uh, even if it costs you, even if it results in poverty, which is an interesting view on poverty, actually, um, from what we've seen in other classes, what we've seen in other Proverbs, that uh, frequently poverty can be and frequently is the consequence of negligence. This was subpoint A in the outline from three weeks ago. While poverty may be the consequence of negligence, it may also be the consequence of maintaining integrity. And so we don't jump to conclusions if we observe somebody that's struggling under a particular test, that it may be undeserved suffering, and it may be a temporary test, and it may be uh, a uh, realm in which their faith is being tested. They're not under judgment. We don't want to just assume because uh, they're having financial issues that God is judging them for some secret sin. That's what uh, Job's friends did when they showed up. They assumed that that Job must be guilty of, of what it was that, uh, that caused God to put him under these, under these things. That uh, the righteous never suffer. That's the fallacy. Okay? And if you start to develop that, that the righteous never suffer, just stop yourself. Because the righteous do suffer when God calls them to do so. Jesus was absolutely righteous. But he suffered on the cross. And uh, he suffered to, to learn obedience through the things that he suffered in his uh, human experience. And all of that is what suited him now to be a merciful and faithful high priest uh, seated at the right hand of God to minister on our behalf in the things pertaining to God. So uh, obviously Proverbs 10 is, is true. Proverbs 10, 4. Uh, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And that's a valid principle. That if you're a slug, there's consequences for being a slug. And poverty is frequently divine discipline, consequences for negligence. Something similar uh, is stated in, in chapter 13 in verse 23. Abundant, abundant food is in the fallow ground of the poor, but it is swept away by injustice. And uh, the recognition there that it's fallow. Why is it fallow? Because they didn't, they didn't plow. They didn't uh, deal with the ground. They didn't plant. And there's plenty of food waiting to grow, it's just they didn't do the work. And so negligence again leads to poverty. And that's, uh, that's obvious. However, it may also be the consequence of maintaining integrity. And uh, we have Proverbs 19.1 in our uh, con- uh, context here. We also have 1 Samuel 18 and verse 23. David was very diligent, but he was not prosperous. He called himself a poor man that was not worthy of being married to the, to the king's daughter. And that was a poverty that was not divine discipline consequence for David's negligence because David was very diligent throughout his entire childhood, throughout his entire youth. He was faithful to his father and he, he tended his father's flocks. 
And uh, maybe had he been more arrogant like his older brothers, he would have gone off and served in Saul's armies and would have accumulated some kind of plunder and could have made a name for himself. But he didn't. He stayed humble and he stayed in his father's house and he did what he was told. And as the youngest of the sons, he had responsibilities to his family. And so he suffered personally and uh, in his personal wealth was, uh, was not promoted the way that it could have been had he made other decisions. And so we have the, uh, the issues there. All of this led us three weeks ago to take a look at the Hebrew noun uh, tom, T-O-M, uh, number 8537, which is the noun for integrity, and uh, used 23 times in the Old Testament. Uh, most of those are in the book of Proverbs. Um, only a handful of places outside of Proverbs, including Genesis 20, verses 5 and 6, where the Philistine king had more integrity than Abraham had. When uh, he uh, had taken Sarah into his harem and God didn't let him touch her, but he said, in the integrity of my heart I have done this, I did not know that she was a married woman. And God uh, admitted that his ignorance uh, was, uh, was uh, legitimate, <laughs> that he did not know, and that uh, he had uh, a heart of integrity. God validated that heart of integrity. Anyway, the word tome occurs there in Genesis 20, verse 5 and verse 6. Also we have an integrity application in 1 Kings 9 and verse 4. I don't remember what that one was about. I've slept since then. 1 Kings 9, 4. This is uh, when Solomon is following David on the throne and he builds the temple. And there's an if statement that's made there when the Lord is uh, speaking to Solomon. He says, if you will walk before me as your father David walked in the integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And you, you stop to ponder the what ifs, and of course it doesn't happen, Solomon dies the sin unto death. Solomon, for all his wisdom, corrupted his wisdom, and, and he had a terrible end of his life with uh, the idolatry of those, of those foreign wives. Uh, but it could have been otherwise, and he could have uh, not married those women, he could have not been seduced to uh, the idol worship, he could have loved the Lord God as David had loved the Lord God, at which point we wouldn't be giving doctrinal classes today about the Davidic covenant or talking about the throne of David. We'd be talking about the Davidic Solomonic covenant. We'd be talking about the throne of David and Solomon. In uh, I think it would have been very much like we talk about with the Abrahamic covenant being confirmed to Isaac, being reconfirmed to Jacob, whereby he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That I think that is analogous to what it could have been. It could have been the throne of David the throne of Solomon, the throne of Rehoboam. It could have been a threefold throne title like it was a threefold covenant title with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it wasn't. It wasn't because Solomon blew it. Solomon died the sinner to death. And, and God in His grace, of course, still maintains the Davidic covenant. It's still the throne of David to this day. Jesus will take His seat on the throne of David. But He could have taken His seat on the throne of David and the throne of Solomon had Solomon's outcome been different. And I think that's what First Kings 15 is, uh, or 1 Kings 9 is addressing there. Um, Job 4 6 is another use outside of, of, for integrity, outside of Proverbs, because this is um, just an unbelievable statement that Job is still holding fast his integrity or claiming that he is. 
even though God has uh, done this to him. All right. I'm not going to repeat more of that. I think we covered it a few weeks back. Hopefully you have your notes. Also, I don't have my slideshow to show you. We'll see if between this morning and this evening we can get this thing to start working again. All right. So we have that issue. Let's move on to the what happens when you lose your integrity. Proverbs 19, verse 1b, the second part of verse 1. So the idea of being perverse in speech and a fool. So we have the integrity in verse A, but what happens when you leave your integrity? That's verse 1b, verse 2, verse 3. We have five consequences for abandoning integrity. So we have perverse speech of the fool in uh, 1b. And so in the outline, what I've given for this is subpoint B. This is still main point one, subpoint B now. Um, the unstable life of no integrity has five descriptions. The unstable life of no integrity has five descriptions. And, and I want to keep it in these terms because these are the biblical terms. This is what happens when you abandon tome, when you abandon integrity. And it's God's standard of integrity, not our standard of integrity. That's key. Uh, you'll encounter unbelievers, you'll encounter folks that uh, tell you that they have integrity. It's just they're following worldly wisdom and they have a, a different religion or a different philosophy. They've got an integrity of sorts. Uh, they, they have what they call integrity, but it's not according to God's standard. It's not according to God's wisdom. And so whatever pseudo-integrity they're clinging to, whatever pseudo-morality they're clinging to, qualifies under the, the Bible's definition of filthy rags. It's unrighteousness. It's relative righteousness. And maybe you are better than the next guy, but you're not the eternal standard of God's perfection that He calls us to be. And so these other things that the unbeliever will call integrity, or the um, what, what Second Peter calls the unstable and untaught, this could also, by the way, be a carnal believer. You can be saved and be so far away from doctrine that you're just caught up in the world's wisdom just like the unbeliever is. And at which point you do the same thing the unbeliever does. You adopt the world's integrity standards and, uh, and substitute the world's integrity standards for God's integrity standards. And the Bible says that's an unstable life. There's no stability with the world's wisdom. You're tossed to and fro and there's no stability when you leave God's standard for integrity. So uh, again, to restate the point at subpoint B, uh, the unstable life of no integrity has five descriptions. And they're going to be numbered one, two, three, four, five. And number one is perverted speech, perverted ways. Perverted speech, perverted ways. We have both speech and ways. You'll notice the walk in 1A and the speech in 1B. So in the, the poetry of this, we understand that the integrity has ways and speech and that the, no, the uh, foolishness has ways and speech. And so we apply these descriptions in both halves of the, of the poetry. But uh, he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. So this is the fool without integrity. He's abandoned God's integrity. He's a fool living in the world. Maybe he's wise according to the world standards, but God still says he's a fool. And without integrity, his speech and his ways are perverted. 
And so the um, Hebrew noun uh, or the Hebrew adjective for the pervert is called ikash. And uh, it starts with a Hebrew lion. So you'll start with an with a uh, accent to the left. Well, I just realized how uncomfortable I am without having a slide for you guys to look at. This is the ikish. So you start with the apostrophe to the left, right? Like an open quote mark, okay? Just the single hash, not the double hash for a quote, but a single hash. And make sure it's an open quote, single hash, hash mark. That way you know it's the Hebrew letter ayin. And then I-Q-Q-E-S-H. I-Q-Q-E-S-H. So the adjective is ekesh. Actually, I should have put a long bar over that E, now that I'm looking at it, ekesh. Number 6141, the Strong's Concordance number. There's only 11 uses in the Bible. But it means twisted, crooked, perverted. It's something that's twisted. It's something that's bent out of shape. It's been mangled to, uh, to go a different direction. And that's what happens anytime you depart from God's wisdom, anytime you depart from God's plan. God's righteous plan is called straight. Straight is good, okay? Straight is, is called the straight and narrow. We are to stay on the straight path. We are to turn neither to the left nor to the right. We're to proceed in obedience in the, the will of God. And so in the imagery of, uh, of the Hebrew language, uh, you have yashar, you've got these other expressions that relate to what is just, what is upright, and it's always, uh, the imagery is always straight. And to me it's, it's hilarious that uh, when the, the, uh, the homosexual lobby uh, started to invent all their terms and tried to take command of language and tried to do all these things to define themselves and define others, they actually, they actually used the expression straight to refer to those that were not perverted or crooked or they wouldn't use those words, you know, but they would talk about gay or straight. Why did they settle on the term straight? What led them? Who invented that? They did. We didn't invent that. They did when they were putting labels on themselves and labels on us and labels on everybody, that come up with the idea of straight because it's right out of Scripture. I love it. I think it's the sovereignty of God that, that causes even the wrath of man to praise His name. The fact is straight is righteous, just, and good. And we have the, uh, the example here. All right. So in, uh, I'm going to give you some examples of this and we're going to see the perverted ways, the perverted speech, uh, the the things there, and in fact, you know, there's pervert is an expression that you're not supposed to use anymore, and it's it's not, it's considered hate speech or it's mean or it's whatever. Um, I, I use it a lot. I I, I want to create a, a renaissance of uh, of of usage for pervert. I think we need to we need to call perversions perversions and just be clear on it. And it's not hateful, and it's it's just truth. We speak the truth in love. And um, somebody yesterday said I shouldn't use the word bastard as much as I use the word, I think I need to use it more because we're not using it as much as it needs to be used in the way that it used to be used in prior generations. Because again, that's sin glorifying itself instead of uh, identifying with the Word of God. So let's look at Deuteronomy 32. 
the first use of ikish here, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 5. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 5. I just thought of one more thing. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 5. Um, this is the song of Moses shortly before his death. And um, he's calling heaven and earth to witness. He says, Give ear, O heavens, let me speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, my, and the, as the droplets uh, of the fresh grass, as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. So if you're going to be oriented to righteousness, that means you've got to be oriented to God. God is the standard. God is righteous, God is perfect, God is the standard. If you maintain that standard, you have integrity with God. If you depart from that standard, you are the crooked and perverse generation. And we get to that here in verse 5. They have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? See, they're the ones that departed. God didn't change. They're the ones that departed. They're uh, departing from his wisdom. They're pursuing human foolishness, and therefore they are corrupt. They are perverse and crooked. And that's the language there. It's the language we're looking at this morning in, in Proverbs 19. And the adjective is ikish, twisted, crooked, perverted. And as such, uh, that twistedness causes uh, the, the, uh, the reminiscence of the serpent because he's the twisted serpent. That's, the, that's, that's what snakes do. They, they twist. <laughs> they twist, they turn, and the, and the, and the dragon himself is the, the crooked serpent that, uh, that the Lord pierces. Alright, so that's Deuteronomy 32 and verse 5. My other bright idea didn't work, did it? Alright. I keep thinking. Alright, that's what I get for letting an Apple product hook up to my projector. It's like having unprotected... It's just bad. To, I, I let him... Hook up an apple to my projector. Pray for me. Because <laughs> I can't think of another thing. Hmm. Nope. Okay. Who did that? Whose prayer was that? I want to... All right. Clark says that was his prayer. All right. Thank you, Lord. All right. So here we are. The unstable life of no integrity has five descriptions. 
And the first one here is the perverted speech and the perverted ways. So we're looking at Ikkesh. I-Q-Q-E-S-H. And when I fix this slide, I'm going to put a long bar over that E in Ikkesh. So it's more of an Ikkesh. All right, Ikkesh. Eleven uses in the Old Testament, starting with Deuteronomy 32.5. We also have it in Psalm 18 in verse 26. And, and it's interesting, these are fairly well known to us. I think as a concept, we know the verses, maybe we just didn't know the, the, uh, the adjective Ikkesh. And I like Ikkesh because it sounds like the English word Ikkesh. <laughs> like Icky. You know, you don't, want to, if it, you don't want to touch anything if it's Icky. If it's Ikkesh, who wants to touch something Icky? So uh, it's kind of fun that the Hebrew word here sounds like something Icky, that we don't want to have anything to do with it. We don't want to be crooked. We don't want to be perverts. Psalm 18 and verse 26. Let's see if we back up a little bit here. Um, verse 23, David says, I was blameless with him. I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyes. He's affirming that he's, uh, although he's got enemies that want him dead, that he's been walking righteously before the Lord. And that's how the Lord of integrity normally works with his children. He says, with the kind, you show yourself kind. And so that's a, that's a blessing for God's children that are walking in kindness, especially with the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, with the kind, you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. So that, those are the character traits we want to maintain in wisdom before the Lord. With the pure, you show yourself pure. Okay, So our relationship with God is a personal relationship, and it's commensurate with, with our walk of integrity. If we're kind, if we're blameless, if we're pure. This is what we're looking at in Colossians 2, by the way. This is why uh, Jesus reconciled us. This is why we can be holy and righteous and blameless before Him. These kind of descriptions. With the pure you show yourself pure, but now notice, with the crooked. With the crooked. Now God Himself doesn't become crooked, but he deals with the crooked. He knows how to deal with the crooked. And it says, you show yourself astute. You show yourself astute. So in other words, his dealings with the crooked is consistent with their crookedness. That he administers his judgment in, us in accordance with their crookedness. Good reminder that we don't want to be crooked. <laughs> right? That the nature of God's discipline is such that he brings it upon. We fall into our own pit that we dig for ourselves in, uh, in the discipline that God heaps upon our head. Psalm 101 in verse 4. This was a psalm we looked at a few weeks back because it's the inaugural address for Jesus in his millennial kingdom. When he talks about the kind of administration he's going to have, the kind of advisors, the kind of um, uh, administrators I will sing the loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Worthless, like Belial, right? I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate 
the work of those who fall away. This is a sanctified, righteous hate, which is the true application of love. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. The nature of apostasy is that it rubs off on other people. So you don't want any apostates around you. O perverse, a perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. So if there's any crooked uh, administrators, they're gone. He gets rid of them. And any leader should, any business leader, any military leader, any governmental leader, any president, if you find out that your secretary of state is a, is a pervert, get rid of him. Find a man of righteousness to put in there. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. See, when your king of kings and lord of lords is seated on the throne and he is omniscient in everything that is going on around him, <laughs> so much for secretly slandering his neighbor. He knows exactly who started that office rumor. And he knows who's leaking things to the press. And he knows who's uh, secretly cooperating with, uh, with whatever. And uh, coordinating with, uh, with uh, some uh, house committee to file a, uh, you know, a whistleblower report that's not even a whistleblower report. And he says, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. His omniscience will know these things. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. So, you know, examining resumes and seeing who he's going to appoint to his cabinet, seeing who's going to work in his administration, who's going to work in the government offices in Jerusalem, the blameless way is what he's looking at. He who practices deceit shall not dwell in my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Well, that would fire half of Washington, D.C. right there. More than half. Right? 90% of our government tell one lie, you're gone. Maybe 90% is too optimistic. (laughs) All right? Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land. We know this is millennial. It can't be new heavens and new earth because there's no death, no sin in the new heavens, new earth. You and I are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But prior to the new heavens and new earth, we still have sin, we still have death, we still have unbelievers, we still have liars, we have the feigned obedience of those that are faking it, trying to impress Jesus. And he, he sees all of it for what it is. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of the Lord, all those who do iniquity. If you're an unbeliever in the millennium, don't go to Jerusalem. Or don't stay overnight. Make sure you get out of town before, before morning. Be gone before the sun comes up because Jesus will execute you if you're still in the city when the sun comes up. Alright, that's Psalm 101. I love it. I read all eight verses every time I get there. So, uh, verse 4 is the uh, verse that has the ikish. But then look at all these places in Proverbs where Proverbs addresses Ikish. Proverbs 2.15. And, and this is why we want to ground our children in the Word of God. This is why we want to raise the next generation in God's wisdom so that they do the straight and narrow. They avoid the crooked. And this is the blessing of Wisdom. 
you know, parents aren't going to follow you around all your life. You're going to grow up, you're going to leave home. Hopefully wisdom will follow you around all your life if you're saturated in wisdom from your youth. And so it says um, in verse 10, wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Notice how active the Word of God is. It's spoken of as an active agent, a a, a thing, a being, an entity, a, a power. The Word of God is alive and powerful. So it's a living power. You're not just accumulating information this morning. You're taking living power into your soul. And it says wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Those are active things that the Word of God does to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the crookedness, the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And this is why it's so devious and why it's so, why God warns against it so, so much is because the, the most deceitful lies that Satan puts forth are the ones that aren't just blatant contradictions, but ones that are mostly similar with just a slight little twist. To take something that God designed for good and then puts a little slight twist to it so that it's falling short of the glory of God, so that it misses the mark. So uh, think about the appetites and the pleasures and the blessings that God supplies, sexual blessings within marriage, and, and Satan twists those. The sin nature twists those. And so perversions are in, in not necessarily even in the, the act itself, but the context in which that act is accomplished. You know, with whom and where and why and all the, the, uh, the, uh, the boundaries that God has put in place. If it's in accordance with His wisdom and His design, it's a beautiful thing. But twist it, you've perverted it. And this is what the Scripture warns us about. And so that's why it goes on to say, uh, whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. The strange woman. We dealt with all this in the early Proverbs classes and the parental wisdom. We, we pour out this to our children so that this wisdom will guard them in their adult capacity. And uh, for the children that are living in the Word of God, conform to the Word of God, that conduct their lives according to the Word of God standard, uh, parents have uh, a lot less concern. <laughs> you know, They're far less worried about the strange woman because they know that their, their, their boy is in the truth. Walking, you're still a little concerned, you still pray, but the, it's greatly diminished when you know that they're living in the Word of God. Because the Word of God is going to follow them around a lot better than, than, than you can in those ways. Alright. So there's Proverbs 2.15. Proverbs 8.8. 8. And this is wisdom speaking. This is who you want to listen to. Uh, boy, I'll read the whole thing. 
Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. Notice how public this is. The world tells you, just keep your faith to yourself. It's a private matter. Your religion is just a private thing between you and don't tell me about it. It certainly has no place in public life. No, it has every place in public life. The wisdom of God should be a, a personal issue and a public issue, both. That's why it's called personal and public wisdom in uh, this section of Proverbs. So beside the gates, at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, to you, O man, I call. My voice is to the sons of men. So it's for adults and children in every generation. O naive ones, understand prudence. O fools, understand wisdom. You can grow up in the Word of God and you should grow up in the Word of God. Listen, for I will speak noble things and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. You're going to hear the truth. You're not going to be flattered by what you want to hear. You're going to hear the truth and wisdom will, will teach you. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. Nothing crooked or perverted in them. That's why it's sad that in some cases, um, you know, the rabbis would limit Song of Solomon, for example. They would, they would limit, uh, you had to be a certain age. I thought it was dirty. Nothing dirty about it. There's a lot of sex in there, but they're supposed to be. That's the, the, the drama for married people. Anyway, there's nothing crooked or perverted, anything in God's Word. We grow in it, we thank God for it, and we appreciate it. Chapter 10 and verse 9. I'm, I'm cheating a little bit with 10, 9. Because it's actually not the adjective ikish there, it's actually a cognate noun of lakash. But still, it's a principle and it's appropriate. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. Notice what do you have? The contrast between integrity and perversion. So do you want security? That's the thing. If you're walking with the Lord, what are you ashamed of? What are you hiding? What do you hope nobody finds out? (laughs) You know, there is nothing in the Christian way of life as you're living in the Word of God, as you're praying, as you're studying the Bible, as you're growing, there's nothing. It's all just there to be discussed, there to be celebrated, there to be, there's nothing shameful about anything in the plan of God. You can walk securely. But he who perverts his ways, that's the guy that's got something to hide. That's the guy who doesn't want things found out, even though in the discipline of God they, get, they do get found out. He, he allows for the shame then to keep you from doing it the next time. You can learn from the, from the mistake. Anyway. We discussed that in uh, when we were back in chapter 10. Chapter 11 and verse 20. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their walk are His delight. So perversion contrasted with blameless. Also abomination contrasted with delight. Remember the language of abomination, God pushes it far away from him. The language of delight is that which he embraces to his bosom, that which he hugs close. So it's arm's length and wishing you had longer arms. (laughs) That's the abomination. You're pushing it as far as you can and man, I need longer arms so I can push it further away. That's abomination. 
I want it as far away from me as a 10-foot pole, 100-foot pole. I want it so far away. But embrace the delight. That which is a delight, he hugs close. That's the embrace. Perversion versus blamelessness. The poetry spells it out there. Chapter 17 and verse 20. Wasn't that long ago we were in chapter 17. He who has a crooked mind finds no good, and he who is perverted in his language falls into evil. So you got the A part and the B part there with the mind and the speech. Not surprising since as a man thinketh in his heart so he is that the mental attitude sins precede the verbal sins, precede the overt sins, and we understand how that typically runs its course. Chapter 19, that's where we are today. Chapter 22 and verse 5. Backing up to verse 4 where we're told the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Now we stop right there. That's Psalm 22 and verse 4. I'm sorry, Proverbs 22 and verse 4. Um, that, that doesn't justify prosperity theology or name it and claim it uh, you know, voodoo Christianity or anything. That it is a reward. Uh, riches, honor, and life may not be temporal riches. <laughs> may not be earthly honor. And it's a uh, length of, of physical life. It can be, doesn't have to be. The real rewards, of course, are eternal. Spiritual riches, spiritual honor, eternal life. Okay? But now notice in contrast, if you're not walking in humility in the fear of the Lord, what are you walking in? You're a pervert, yeah. Uh, thorns and snares are the, in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. And that's what leads you right into train up a child in the way he should go. I mean, there it is in Proverbs 22. So do you want to be, you want to have the walk of humility and the fear of the Lord? There you go. Consequences, good consequences. Uh, you want to be a, a pervert? Well, there's thorns, there's snares. You should keep yourself from that. He who guards himself will be far from them. That's Proverbs 22, verses 4 and 5. Proverbs 28. The adjective is in verse 6. The verb is in verse 18. And in verse 6, it's a better than, similar to what we have in Proverbs 19, 1, a better than proverb. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. And these verses are so parallel, some manuscripts uh, even copy this verse back into chapter 19. Um, Some of the Hebrew manuscripts and some of the scribes were struggling with 19.1, and so they thought they could improve 19.1 if they just copied uh, from chapter 28 and brought it back into chapter 19. I don't see any reason to do that. There's no reason to do that in chapter 19. Let 19.1 say what it says, and let uh, 28.6 say what it says. But the first half is identical. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. So maintain your integrity, no matter the, the financial cost. Uh, whatever earthly price you pay is, is worth it, because the heavenly price you pay otherwise is unthinkable. The spiritual price you pay to compromise your integrity is eternal, and those consequences, that's a, that's a long-term price you don't want to pay. 
So if you're thinking with an eternal scale, uh, the decision making gets easier. It's only when you throw out your divine viewpoint and you only think in earthly human terms that uh, you're willing to, you know, you don't think about the price to pay because you want to have your fun. You want to be carnal. You want to do the sin or whatever. You don't think it's just the passing pleasures of sin. And you don't think through the consequences because you don't want to think through the consequences. All right. Also verse 18. He who walks blamelessly will be delivered, but he who is crooked will fall all at once, will fall suddenly. And there's a sudden destruction that comes upon. And so he who is crooked. Now, again, I kind of cheated there a little bit. That's not ikish. It's actually the verb, the cognate verb, lakash. So it's 6140 instead of 6141. But anyway. So I threw in two extra verbs on top of the, the adjectives there just to, you know, mix up the recipe a little bit and give you some flavor to the, uh, to the perverted pot. All right. The unstable life. Five descriptions. And the first one is crooked. The unstable life is crooked. Secondly, the uh, unstable life of no integrity, no soul knowledge. No soul knowledge. Proverbs 19.2 where it says, also it is not good. See, it is good to walk in integrity. It is not good for a person to be without knowledge. Without soul knowledge. And uh, when you have the nephesh there in verse 2, it is not good for the nephesh to be without knowledge, for the soul to be without knowledge. Sometimes the nephesh is translated soul, sometimes it's translated person. That's because the real person is the soul. You know, you, you're not a body, you have a body. You are a soul. And that's the, the truth of who we are as human beings. And so for a person, for a soul to be without knowledge, this shows you what happens when you're living the unstable life of no integrity. You're departing from the wisdom of God. And the knowledge you think you're accumulating, what is falsely called knowledge, is just the world's wisdom and you're, you're depriving your, your nephesh, you're depriving your soul of the true knowledge of God, the true knowledge of His Word. We did a pretty comprehensive study on this back in chapter 18, and it was very recently. Remember in 1815, the mind of the prudent acquires knowledge and the, ear, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. There's the same knowledge in both the A part and the B part. It's a duplicated, redundant poem there that, re, that duplicates the, the da'af, that du, uh, duplicates the knowledge, the same knowledge that we have here in 19.2. So acquire knowledge acquire, and, uh, and seek it. Keep seeking it. Don't assume that you've acquired enough. Acquire and keep on acquiring. That's the thing. When a believer tells me they've had enough doctrine, I say, oh wow, you don't have enough. <laughs> you've got something wrong with the doctrine that you have acquired, so go get some more. And realize that you, you could always learn more, that it's infinite, that you spend the rest of your life learning more. And the things you think you know, you don't know well enough. Go back and relearn those. And, and relearn the things you've already learned. Go back and learn the essence box again. Go back and learn the basics. Go back and learn the things you think you know front and back. You don't know it as well as you think you do. And if you think you really know it, teach it. Okay? Because you find out teaching it once or twice, ooh, I don't know as much as I thought I knew. 
and uh, you teach something, and that's the, the nastiest thing, really the most genius thing Ralph Braun ever did to me was my third year of Greek was teaching George Dykeman his first year of Greek. And let me tell you, I learned more teaching him his first year of Greek, things I thought I knew I didn't know, and I had to go look them up, and I had to, and it was the best thing in the world. So uh, knowledge. We did a full study on this. The problem is when we don't acquire knowledge, it's not about trivia, it's not about just facts, it's not about, um, it's not a useless thing. We're not just getting information so we can ace a, a Bible quiz, we can score well on a party game or anything. No, the more we learn about the Word of God, the more we're learning about God Himself. We're increasing in the knowledge of God. So these other warnings, I, I, uh, I'm just repeating these from what we looked at in chapter 18, Hosea 4 and verse 6. Remember this? Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. I think one of the biggest problems America has right now is our biblical illiteracy. And we've got a generation that's not growing up like previous generations have grown up in the Scriptures. And uh, the more biblical ignorance we have, the more ignorance of God we have, are going to be tangible effects upon our nation. Our culture suffers accordingly. And so when we read, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, if this is true for God's chosen people, it's certainly true for a Gentile dog nation like us. If, if he's not going to spare Israel, do you think he's going to spare the United States of America? Not for a moment. Well, we need a pivot, we need a remnant, we need a core of, of God-fearing believers to be salt and light, to preserve this nation in spite. You know, ten people, ten righteous could have saved Lot, could have saved Sodom. And you wondered, are we dropping below the, the salt and light level there where, we, there's, where America has any chance? See. John 16 and verse 3 in the New Testament. John 16. And it's interesting, when your culture gets hostile to God-fearing believers, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. Some of the biggest enemies that believers can have are going to be the religious unbelievers that think they're serving God, they don't even know God. But they think they're serving God, and by persecuting you and me, they think they're, I mean, what did Saul of Tarsus think he was doing? Holding the robes so they could stone Stephen, and dragging off Christians to jail. He thought he was serving God. He was more zealous in serving God. And they'll think that killing you is a big service to God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father, or me. When you don't know the Word of God, when you don't know God. That's telling. And so uh, the disciples can expect it. Um, the entirety of the church age has to be aware of this. 
And by the time uh, Israel gets to the tribulation, this is going to be a, a daily um, occurrence. What they have to look forward to. Romans 10 and verse 2. Nothing worse than someone who doesn't know God, who thinks he knows God, and thinks that he's serving God. And they can be very, very zealous. Romans 10 to Paul says, Brethren, in verse 1, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. So if you're walking this unstable life of no integrity, first thing that happens is you're not accumulating knowledge. How do you grow in the Word of God when you're walking in foolishness? You don't. And even whatever facts you think you're accumulating is not true knowledge. And so you become zealous and you become perverted and these things become a persecutor of those who are trying to walk in, in wisdom. Finally, Philippians 1.9 This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Very compatible with Proverbs 19. The walk of integrity is the walk of blamelessness, to be sincere and blameless. But the perverted walk, the crooked walk, you're abandoning knowledge. You're abandoning true knowledge. As this says here, real knowledge and all discernment. Alright, so these are the first two. Uh, We've got three more to go. Let's see. might be the best place to stop, but let's take a look. If I hadn't wasted so much time fiddling over that. All right. So again, the A part of verse 1 is where we want to be. We want to be walking in integrity. Abandoning that takes us to the B part, to verse 2, A and B, to verse 3, A and B. So uh, the first description is the uh, crookedness, the perverted speech and ways. The second description is to be without knowledge. The third description is to hurry his footsteps. Yeah, 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 let me teach this real fast. The, uh, <laughs> to hurry your footsteps. And it's curious to me, this is, you can chew on this between, I'll, I'll save this for next week. But think about what Satan does when he gets us in a rush. When he gets us all hot and bothered and excited and not thinking, you know, like the, the Thessalonians, they were quickly shaking from their uh, composure, disturbed, to the effect that the day of the Lord had come. So Satan sends a letter to them and he says, hey, guess what? There is no rapture. You're in the tribulation. Good luck. And signed Paul. Right? And, and they believed it. They read this thing and said, oh my goodness. Paul says we're in the tribulation. And they got all wrapped up about it. So he had to write 2 Thessalonians to straighten it all out and say, you guys, you know better than that. You know a lot better than that. You know that the tribulation can't come until the rapture and we're gone. What are you all worried about? Don't be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed. 
And so the first rule of thumb is slow down, think it through. Search the Scriptures, see if these things are so. Pray about it. Ask God to quiet your heart. Ask God, you know, because the, the, the turmoil of just rushing into something on, a, on, a, on an impulse, when does that ever go well? Okay? Stop. Slow down. Think it through. Pray over it. Get your pastor to pray with you. Get your deacons to pray with you. Get two or three together. And, and because he who hurries his footsteps errs. The general rule of thumb is when you rush into something, did you pray over it? Are you certain on the will of God? Did you confirm it? Or are you simply rushing off in the crooked path of no integrity? So that's the third description, is you're in a hurry. The fourth description, ruin. The foolishness of man ruins his way. Ruin. Personal ruin. Spiritual ruin. I mean... When you think about the damaged lives and the shipwrecks and the ruined marriages and the, the train wreck kids and, and, and just the, the damage that's done in marriages and families and culture and, you, and, and what the saddest part of all is how unnecessary that is for, because had believers just simply lived their lives according to God's wisdom none of that would have, would have been the assigned consequence. And yet that's the way it goes. And his heart rages against the Lord. And that's maybe the worst of all. Because instead of responding to the divine discipline, you just shake your fist at God, mad at God, blaming Him for these things that that you brought on yourself. Because you abandoned wisdom two verses ago. So we'll pick up here next week and we'll uh, we'll cover uh, description 3, 4, and 5. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for truth. Thank you for the wisdom of your word and the blessing that we have to show ourselves approved. I thank you that we can search the scriptures and see if these things are so. I thank you, Father, that we don't have the unstable life. We have the stable life. We are rooted and grounded in love. We're not tossed by every wind of doctrine. Father, I thank you that we have an anchor, one that is sure and steadfast, one that has entered within the veil. So, Father, we enter right in there with them and we stand before you um, holy, righteous, blameless. Thank you, Father, for your grace that makes these things possible. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.